Hello, I'm Grayson Brulte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. If you haven't already, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. The world of aviation is changing. The consumers are beginning to fly in commercial aircrafts again. Countries around the world are demanding carbon emissions are cut. Companies are taking very innovative engineering approaches to aerospace. And one of those companies is Pratt & Whitney. We sat down with Lisa Clavelou, the Senior Director of Group Quality, Pratt & Whitney, a Raytheon Technologies company, to talk about the incredible engineering feats that Pratt & Whitney's doing in aerospace, especially around their engines. And Pratt & Whitney has some amazing engines. One of those engines is, is the GTF engine. It stands out because to date, over 54 airlines around the world are using their engines. I'm like, okay, there, there's something good going on here. And you dive in deeper into it, the GTF engines have saved more than 490 million gallons of fuel and avoided 4.7 million tons of carbon emissions. I repeat, have re avoided more than 4.7 million tons of carbon emissions because of the incredible engineering that Pratt & Whitney has done on the GTF engines. The knowledge bomb today is no headphones, no problem. The GTF engines are allowing airlines, such as the 54 airlines I mentioned earlier, to fly into airports around the world because the engines dramatically reduce noise. Pratt Whitney's GTF engines are reducing noise and reducing carbon emissions and saving fuel. It's very important we save fuel now because we have a jet fuel shortage. Sit back, relax, enjoy this as Lisa pulls back the curtain on Pratt and Whitney engines. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Great. Thanks, Grayson. I'm really happy to be here today. We're super excited to have you here. Pratt & Whitney is an amazing company with an incredible heritage that has done incredible, incredible engineering work. So thank you so much for taking the time to shed some light on an incredible, iconic company today. Lisa, Pratt & Whitney was founded by Friedrich Rentschler, and he once stated, the best airplane could only be designed around the best engine. The U.S. Navy took notice of this and ordered 200 WASP and Hornet engines in 1926. How do you, as the Senior Director of Group Quality, build upon the legacy of Mr. Rentschler built the best engine philosophy? Well, Grayson, the Pratt & Whitney tagline is dependable engines, which really means that we ensure mission success for our customers. Uh, we're committed to being world-class, and we provide propulsion systems that are world-class that meet our customer expectations. Our key tenants at Pratt & Whitney are safety, quality, compliance to requirements, and continuous improvement. And that's really core to what we all do. As I think about my role at Pratt & Whitney, I'm really focused on compliance to requirements and continuous improvement at a global scale. So I lead an organization called Group Quality, which really, if you think about it, it's, it's the centralized quality team that supports our tactical teams in the field. So my team is a central quality organization, and we look at things from a systemic standpoint. We support those tactical quality teams through stewardship of our quality management system, uh, which we abbreviate all the time. Our, we like acronyms at Pratt & Whitney. It's a QMS. <laughs> so our QMS is really a set of policies, procedures, and systems. 
and they serve as the framework for our businesses. And that's how our businesses operate. And this framework really sets the expectations to assure that we meet and exceed our customers' requirements. To be more specific, the Pratt Whitney QMS includes things like PPAP, process control, um, manufacturing readiness levels, and they guide us every day. And so my job also leads the auditing function for quality at Pratt & Whitney. And just to describe auditing, um, most people have heard the term, but it really is a key and important activity for us that serves to provide our businesses with really a look in the mirror, an objective look at what they're doing well and where they have opportunities to improve. So that really is essentially my role at Pratt & Whitney. There's no doubt that you're exceeding your customers' expectations because when you combine quality with dependable engines, you've got an incredible marriage and you've got a very happy customer on the other side. And for our listeners that might not be familiar how large Pratt & Whitney is, 54 airlines around the world, I repeat, 54 airlines are using your GTF engines. Is that because of the commitment to quality, the dependability? Is that why these companies are choosing these incredible engines? Yeah, it's really an accomplishment that we're proud of. The GTF, it, which stands for Geared Turbofan, as I said, we like the acronyms. <laughs> we recently celebrated a thousand aircraft powered by GTF engines. So it's a really exciting milestone for Pratt & Whitney. Since entry into service, which was in, I believe, early 2016, that GTF engine family has delivered on its promised ability to reduce fuel burn. Um, we also reduce carbon emissions by up to 20%. And then we dramatically decrease or reduce our noise footprint. So to give you a few statistics, as of May this year, the GTF engines have cumulatively, cumulatively flown almost 9 million hours. We've saved more than 490 million gallons of fuel. And we've also reduced carbon emissions and avoided over 4.7 million tons of carbon emissions. So as a company, we are committed to sustainable air travel, uh, which enables airlines to open new routes, fly more people further, and with less fuel and lower noise. So thanks in part to the engine's fuel efficiency, its reliability, that GTF engine is enabling operators to expand their route networks and doing it more sustainably. We're seeing reports in newspapers all around the world of a jet fuel shortage today. With Pratt & Whitney saving 490 million gallons of fuel, it seems to me that I don't know how you're going to keep the door from knocking down that every airline's probably calling you. Oh, I got to get these GTF engines. This is we have a jet fuel shortage and Pratt & Whitney's got this incredible solution. Not only are you saving jet fuel, but I want to emphasize the 4.7 million tons of carbon emissions that have been avoided. That's incredible. I want to repeat that one more time. 4.7 million tons of carbon emissions have been avoided because of the incredible engineering talent at Pratt & Whitney. Let's dive into the engineering here for a minute. How is that possible? Because it's impressive. 
just understand that we invested decades of research and development time to develop this engine, an engine that really is a breakthrough. We developed this engine to deliver those significant fuel savings while still living up to our quality and performance standards. Essentially, our engineers were able to design this new type of turbo fan engine with an extra gear. So that's really what makes it tick and become a GTF engine. Thus the name GTF, geared turbofan. This extra gear allowed us to decouple um, the, the fan blades and their speed and the engine shaft. So they turn at different speeds. So it was a novel breakthrough in aviation. Uh, which allowed us to optimize each, and that enabled that improved fuel efficiency. So the, the geared turbofan engine also incorporates advances in things like um, aerodynamics. We use lighter weight materials. We have other major technology that was included in this engine design, and the controls and engine health monitoring systems are really all advances in technology incorporated in this engine. So to provide a couple of statistics on the engine, engine's performance, we're estimating that the GTF engine uh, saves about 100 gallons of fuel per flight hour, which goes back to your, your point about you know fuel scarcity and so forth. Uh, reduction of CO2, is about one metric ton per flight hour, which is really impressive. Additionally, the engine is also much quieter than conventional engines as well. I'm gonna combine ground and air here. There's a big movement on the ground vehicle side towards electric vehicles because of the positive benefits of the environment, but here's Pratt & Whitney, you're doing it in the sky. The numbers that you're explaining are, are, are absolutely incredible. And thank you for shining a light on it because it hasn't been shining up bright enough light in my opinion and you've talked a lot about acronyms and i called alphabet soup but you've got a really great tagline i was reading about about the gtf engine no headphones no problem i said oh, okay this is you've got my attention on this due to the noise reduction does that allow you to fly into smaller airports that might be constricted by noise requirements is that allowing airlines to expand to those different markets they might not have been able to go to previously yeah, it definitely is opening up new routes for for airlines. Um, I, you know, we all are used to making sure that we have headphones when we enter a plane. <laughs> so this no headphones, no problem. It, it's really important, and it's backed by by the um, the noise reduction in this new GTF engine. So in addition to the fuel savings we already talked about and the emissions. The noise footprint of the GTF is 75% smaller than a conventional engine. So that means as a GTF powered aircraft flies, the sounds of the engines can be heard by far fewer people on the ground. So your question about opening up smaller airports, it definitely allows airlines to explore routes that they hadn't previously been able to do. So it's quieter communities that result and quieter flights for passengers thus that tagline no headphones no problem it's, it's got the perfect balance of awesomeness you benefit the individuals that live around the airport with less noise 
you benefit the customers that are paying for passage on the airplane with less noise. And you're benefiting the airlines because you're more efficient engines and they can generate more profitable revenue. To me, that's the perfect awesomeness because it, it works for all the individuals around and for the environment, you're doing good by the environment. And I, li- I listen to a lot of music and there's this Australian folk band named Angus and Julia Stone and on their 2010 album, Down the Way, they had a song called Big Jet Plane where Angus sang about riding on jet planes. We're seeing the TSA numbers go up. We're seeing commercial air travel go bonkers this summer. What trends are you, are you seeing in the aerospace engine market to try and meet this demand? Well, as you know, and everyone else has heard, the pandemic had a pretty significant impact on the aerospace industry. Uh, flights were limited. Countries closed their borders, which obviously limited commercial international travel. Demand for new engines and other services declined. Our whole industry felt it. So despite that, um, we're confident in the recovery of the industry in the coming years, and we're starting to see signs of that. Because the markets that our engine portfolio operates in is resilient, we're expecting slow but steady growth, um, especially in the commercial as commercial travel returns. International travel is lagging behind but will become more available at some point. So to give you one data point here, Memorial Day weekend, late spring, which typically marks the beginning of the summer travel season in the United States, was a really good case study and really punctuates our optimism. The US Transportation Security Administration, the TSA reported screening almost 2 million passengers in a single day over Memorial Day weekend. So that's about 70% of what we saw in 2019. And then if you look at the International Air Transport Association, they recently predicted that global passenger numbers will recover to about 52% of 2019 levels this year. Next year, we're looking at a greater recovery of 88% of pre-pandemic levels. And then in 2023, the projections now are that we will exceed 2019, up to 105% of those levels. So as passenger numbers continue to rise towards those pre-pandemic levels, especially for domestic, international will definitely lag behind. They're still depressed and it'll take a few years to get back to that 2019 level. But we're expecting that the single aisle commercial segment will lead the recovery. We also anticipate an increased demand for products like the GTF engine, which shows greater fuel efficiency. So like many others, you know, the aviation industry really suffered during the pandemic. So products that offer a greater efficiency and fuel economy are likely to be the ones that are most desirable in the recovery. Just to to flip a little bit out of the commercial markets and talk for a second about the military side of our business, we anticipate those levels will continue to hold steady without a sharp increase or decrease in these coming years. So overall, Grayson, I think things are really looking positive for a full recovery in our industry. I fully agree with the full recovery. And thank you for pointing out the military. You do a lot of great work 
for the military and to the men and women that serve in the military, thank you so much for your service. I'm seeing a trend amongst my friends with European vacations and, and vacations to Greece are pushed back to 22. And the interesting part of that trend was the hotels are accommodating them and allowing them to move in with no friction, no additional charges. So depending on where this 22 travel season, it could probably be Europe's biggest travel season. And I'll be really interesting to see what the impact is going to be both on the commercial market and the private aerospace market. It's really, really interesting staying in that. You, you look at things and people don't realize a lot of things and they look, oh, SAE, it's for it's for cars. Oh, it's all ground vehicles. No, SAE was founded by some incredible individuals and early members like such as the Wright Brothers and Amelia Earhart in a huge, 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 huge focus on aerospace. And early on during the, the founding of SAE, the aerospace industry committed to standardizing around quality and safety. Brilliant move at a very important time in history. Why was that so important? You know, early on, it was recognized in the earliest days of aviation that safety was critical for the industry to succeed. Standardization brings, you know, assurance of consistency and predictability to aviation. So therefore achieving the highest levels of safety, which we all know is critical in our business. It's critical that the entire industry assures safe air travel. AS9100 is a standard that defines the requirements for a quality system for the aviation, space and defense industries. And AS9100 is supplemental to the requirements of ISO 9001. I know I'm throwing out a lot of uh, acronyms and uh, you know standards here, uh, but this is how our industry flies, <laughs> which defines quality system requirements pertaining to many industries. So conforming to these standards really enable the engine manufacturers to achieve the highest level of safety, which is our goal. I want to say I am so impressed that you can keep the alphabet soup straight and remember that that's really <laughs> I'd have to have a cheat sheet in my pocket you see a baseball player on the mound and oh this guy likes he likes to hit it down and uh, down and away up oh, can't pitch it there got to pick it I mean it's absolutely incredible I'd be the guy with the cheat sheet and you've got this incredible encyclopedia of memory um, on these standards and all the terms and fun stuff that goes together with it. I want to stay on this because you've been dedicating a large amount of your time to the SAE ITC Aerospace Engine Supplier Quality Strategy Group. Why do this? Because everybody that I speak to that works with you or interacts with you and that speaks the world of you and say how incredible this would not really happen without you, it would not move to the point of where it is with, without your dedication. What did you see? Why did you decide to roll your sleeves up and have such an incredible positive impact? I've held many different roles in quality over these years. And so I've seen firsthand there were times where a requirement was missed or misunderstood when process control wasn't used and a process drifted. So when I think about other times, there were changes that were made to a process. Maybe a producer moved one, you know, from one producer to another to manufacture a part, or maybe a machine was moved or a machine was replaced. And all of those things can cause a shift in your process. So many quality problems result from changes without a real adequate understanding 
of the impact. And so I'm really passionate about the safety of our industry and quality often drives safety. I personally see the importance of the group's work and it's a huge group um, I'm a part of um, and it's a really effective dynamic group, all striving to achieve those highest levels of safety in our industry. And the group is not just raising the bar, but they're also stepping up to support suppliers to achieve that bar. So in addition to the publication of AS 13100, uh, the AESQ has made guidance manuals available on their website. Uh, they have descriptions of how to implement the standard. There's also training through SAE. All of these resources are focused on supporting manufacturers to effectively deploy the requirements of the standard so that we actually achieve the effectiveness we're looking for. The AESQ plays a leading role in the SAE 13100 standard. Will you please kindly talk about that standard? As I mentioned, AS9100 defines the QMS requirements for the aerospace industry. In addition to 9100, engine manufacturers have each created and defined their specific requirements that go deeper. So each engine manufacturer has another set of requirements that we have flowed out to producers that go deeper than AS9100. And those deeper requirements tell manufacturers the appropriate methods to comply with the standards. So as an industry group, we had a lot of feedback from suppliers about how onerous all of our standards were, our requirements were, uh, that we weren't commonizing and flowing similar type requirements. So as an industry group, the large engine manufacturers were seeing common issues with their suppliers. And despite flowing similar types of requirements, they were each saying it in a different way, which caused confusion, as you can imagine, uh, suppliers, and it sometimes led to escapes. So to add to that, the entire industry was ramping up. So not only were we flowing out requirements that were confusing, uh, and there were too many of them in different languages, uh, essentially, the industry was ramping up. So industry projections were that air passenger miles would increase significantly over the coming decades. And the AESQ saw that ramp coming. They recognized that they needed to do things a different way to improve quality, to support the increased demand. And so one way was to come together and see where they could agree on common requirements. The use of common language is a big deal. We were creating confusion. And so we came together and we created this one quality standard that each of the OEMs would use. This would serve to clarify and simplify the requirements for suppliers. You said, you said something earlier, which just stands out to me. Quality drives safety. I'm gonna repeat that again. Quality drives safety. You got this incredible company, Pratt & Whitney. You're building really, really dependable, efficient engines. 
you got incredible quality and all these groups are working together on the standard different oems together working together what was it like before the standard process whether this this company went this way this company went this way this company went that way is that kind of what it was and the standard brought everybody together and say okay industry this is the way that we propose going forward as a standard yeah, so each um, manufacturer of engines, the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturer, one more acronym there, uh, the <laughs> OEMs were each flowing their own requirements, which were supplemental to AS9100, but they weren't always consistent. They had a similar intent. We actually make similar parts, but we were saying it in all different ways. So in order to improve quality and safety, we needed to get consistent. There was a recognition that part producers had too many quality escapes. They weren't fully using the quality tools needed to ensure that we had predictable, predictably, I should say, conforming parts. Quality tools like PPAP, which is production part approval process, flowed out of another standard, more numbers, AS9145. <laughs> or DFMEAs, which is a design failure modes and effects analysis to really understand how your design is going to impact the functionality. PFMEA is another quality tool, which is process failure modes and effects analysis. It's really poking at your processes to understand where your risks are. So these DFMEAs, PFMEAs, the PPAP, these kinds of quality tools they're designed to identify both design and process risk and to put adequate controls in place so that we don't realize that risk. So we were seeing that suppliers didn't have enough engineers trained in these quality control methods. And so if they were applied, in some cases they were, they were sometimes ineffective. So these are the issues that prompted the AESQ to get together and create AS9, AS13100, this common set of standard. Thank you for highlighting multiple times throughout this podcast, common language. Common language is extremely important in the aerospace industry. It's the incredible work that you and the team are doing. It's important on the ground vehicle industry as well, but it's important in manufacturing industries across the world, including warehousing, for example. So thank you for pointing out that because it is very important for a uh, variety of industries across the globe. For a listener who's listening and says, okay, this is really interesting. Um, I'm following the alphabet soup. I'm learning a little bit here, trying to piece it all together. <laughs> I'm running a Google search here. How would you summarize the AS13100 AS standard for our audience? There, instead of them going down to Google Highway, they can say, okay, how would you just summarize it for them? Yeah, I think so. So just to be candid, I use Google too. To, to search acronyms. <laughs> uh, but, you know, to summarize the standard for this audience, it's very simple. Um, the standard aligns the engine OEMs, the manufacturers, in their shared goal of producing the safest engines. So it provides the script for employing proven methods to prevent defects and therefore achieve the highest level of quality. So it's as simple as that. That was awesome. That was awesome. It was a beautiful soundbite that, that summarized it absolutely brilliantly and simply. 
So I want to kind of go into the, the more technical aspect here. Now that we, we, we set the standard, we understand it. What role does process control play in the standard? Yeah, process control is foundational to the standard. The concept of process control is that if you control the inputs and the parameters of a process, you'll achieve predictable outputs. So when a process is stable and controlled, it needs to be monitored for changes, which may require intervention before defects are created. So process control allows us to shift to defect. Let me just restate that. It allows us to shift from creating defects and relying on defect detection or inspections to preventing the creation of those defects altogether. So it provides the tools and to prevent those defects because each defect prevented, Grayson, is one less that requires detection. And that goes into the whole common theme of this podcast, dependability, dependability, dependability. So putting this all together, we're going to make a sandwich here. We've got peanut butter on this side, jelly on this side. We're going to put it together. Why is this standard so important to the aerospace industry? Yeah, AS13100 introduces a new level of consistency across the industry. You know, each OEM had slightly different quality standards and specifications for very similar products. So AS13100 gives our suppliers a unified set of requirements to work to. Not only does it make everyone's job easier, it reduces the opportunities for escapes and decreases cost. You've, you've got this incredible understanding of a really complex industry aerospace, which for the record, I think is an absolutely awesomely cool industry, but you're a chemical engineer by trade. I, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is getting really interesting. How did your training as a chemical engineer prepare you for your role as senior director of group quality? Did you learn something in the lab one day and said, wait a second, I'm going to be really good at quality? <laughs> Early in my career, I worked in the chemical processing industry. Uh, and, and in that role, we executed you know, really complex chemical reactions. So we were transforming what we call monomers, single molecule um, acrylates, into acrylic polymers, which is a type of transparent plastic. So these cast acrylic sheets, if you will, they look like glass and they're used in view through applications, things like aircraft cockpit windows, because they're used where glass may be too heavy for the application, but you still need to be able to see through clearly. So when the material needs to sustain great pressures, that's another use for cast acrylic. So we made actually what we call monolithic castings, a single casting of acrylic up to eight inches thick and they took three weeks for the reaction to occur. So it's really thick, and they use those in things like aquarium tanks or submarine windows. So it's a really interesting industry, and it was reliant on process control. It was a great training ground for me as a younger engineer to understand the fundamentals of process control. And I really, it struck me how important it is in achieving quality product. 
So I would say most importantly, in assuring back in those days when I was in a chemical processing facility, control of a reaction was most critical in assuring safety of the employees within the facility. It's a little different perspective than an aircraft. I've witnessed runaway reactions on more occasions than I would like to share. When something went wrong, it could have been a power blip causing a loss of cooling to a reactor. It could have been a chemical initiator that, which those are used to start the reaction, to kickstart it, but it might've degraded. And so it was less predictable on how it would react. There's, you know, in order to yield that predictable result, we needed to control dozens of variables. And those variables were things like the chemicals that went into the product, the impurities that you don't know about but need to test for before you use the product, temperatures, pressures, flow rates, distribution of cooling. So those are just to name a few, but it's a very complex process. And I was in that industry for 20 years and then I transitioned to aerospace. And what I found out really quickly is that regardless of the product you're making, it could be you know engines, it could be large acrylic transparencies, it could be machined gears for helicopter transmissions. The principles of process control are the same. All processes have inputs, outputs, and parameters that need to be controlled. So when you control those inputs, like composition, raw materials, impurities, and you control the parameters, things like temperature, pressure, machine wear, you will yield the desired output. So my passion for process control has served me well in all of the roles I have held in quality, but in every role in my career, because the concepts are translatable to business processes as well. You've done some very cool things. That's incredible that you're making that chemical reaction over a long period of time. I'm like, okay, that's really cool. And you understand quality. You've done all these really cool, interesting things that comes together with this incredible knowledge and insight that you have. I want to, putting all your experience together, I want to, I would love to know, what does the future of aerospace look like? Yeah, in one in one line, the future of aerospace is bright. Now, of course, I'll, I'll I'll go a little further here, but really optimistic on this. There's so much opportunity on the horizon, particularly in the digital space, which we call the digital thread. And what I mean is the use of a single digital platform across all the life stages of an engine, from design and development, supply chain operations, and sustainment. So doing so will help us cut development time, reduce costs, but also assure safety and quality. On the commercial side in particular, we expect that sustainability and fuel efficiency will continue to be a major focus. Those are really on the horizon and going to just accelerate. As an organization, just talking about Pratt & Whitney, we continue our focus on helping to solve challenges in our communities. Our parent company, which is Raytheon Technologies, recently made a $500 million commitment 
to invest in education. We invest in education, we invest in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and in our military service members. And that's that $500 million over the next 10 years. So it's very significant and will have an impact. At Pratt & Whitney, we also have a continued focus on supporting STEM education. And it's for students of all ages with a particular focus on students who are underrepresented in these fields. So each year, Pratt & Whitney contributes millions of dollars and employees donate thousands of hours of their time and expertise to support STEM achievement around the world. And Grayson, we're not just using STEM to build aircraft engines. We're also using it to develop the next generation of engineers, scientists, manufacturers, innovators. We sponsor primary school to university level programs. We, we spark students' interest. We inspire innovation. We provide access to essential hands-on training. And in addition, Pratt Whitney partners with community colleges and universities around the globe. We expand our employees' skill sets in the area of manufacturing technology, which is an area that if you talk to any uh, aerospace manufacturer, there's a scarcity of talent coming out of our schools. It's our way of investing to support and inspire future leaders in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The brilliance of what you said and what Pratt & Whitney and your parent company Raytheon does is you're allowing a child the ability to explore, to dream, to build something. Through one of these programs, a child can come up with an idea that can go on to, to change the world because that child had the opportunity to experiment with a new technology or even with a building block in a wood shop or a metal shop to build things hand on. So thank you to Pratt and Whitney and to Raytheon for making that commitment to education because education's important. The ability for a, a child who might not necessarily be able to go into a lab and experiment with things, it's very important because as I said, that, that child could go on to change the world and it's companies like yours and the leadership that's making these decisions to help make the world a better place. So thank you again to Pratt and Whitney and to Raytheon. And to yourself, Lisa, for all that you do uh, to, to give back. And as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation where we went through the alphabet, we learned all about alphabet soup and, and acronyms, which was awesome for the record. I have my cheat sheet and you've got it memorized. What would you like our listeners to take away with them? Yeah, first, I, I guess I would just say, first of all, thank you um, for this opportunity because I am enthusiastic. I love to share my enthusiasm and support for the AS13100 standard. I think the AESQ is doing great work. The standard will provide the framework for suppliers and engine manufacturers to shift the mindset to defect prevention. So it will enable us as a collective industry really to continually improve quality in order to assure that we are providing engines to contribute to the safest skies for the flying public and militaries around the world. So I really appreciate the time you gave me today, Grayson. So thank you. You're very welcome. And as I said earlier, the theme of this podcast, Dependable, and Pratt & Whitney makes them incredible, incredibly dependable. 
engines that ensure the safety for our men and women in the military and for the traveling public flying on commercial aircraft. To the engineers of Pratt & Whitney, keep doing what you're doing because you're making incredibly awesome engines. Tomorrow is today. Today is tomorrow. The future is dependable engines in the AS13100 standard. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. Great. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. Be sure to join us next time when I sit down with Greg Otto, Chief Cybercrime Reporter at Intel 417, to discuss ransomware and the current state of cybercrime. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and connect with us on LinkedIn to let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.